There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a huge welcome to the Business Elevation Show. Um, Great to be here today and um, talking about a subject that is just so much in the minds of uh, so many of us today, and that's um, uh, your role in reversing climate change. It could be our role. um, It could be my role. The truth is, though, it it all starts with us, and we all personally uh, on this planet have the opportunity in our own way to make a contribution to this, uh, this challenge, and I think there's an opportunity to come together like never before. So I'm very excited today to be talking about that with uh, my guest today, Elizabeth Binberg-Hearn, and also Stephen Morris, who, uh, who are real friends of the show, and I always love to chat about things with them. Um, so before we come on to that subject, you know, it may seem that reversing climate change is impossible. But out there in the world today, there are so many people who are doing remarkable things. I've met people who, when it comes to climate change now, are starting to think that the almost the light at the end of the tunnel has gone out and are starting to feel, you know, de- depressed. But actually, there's nothing like the human mind when we come together to, to solve problems. I've been reminded about that over the last couple of days by a couple of remarkable um, people and organizations that I've been involved with from a charitable perspective. So I'd just like to mention them. The first one was um, the Magic Future Foundation, which was founded by um, Stefan Wiesenbach and his Engagement Multiplier organization. Um, there's a little link to Engagement Multiplier on my site. Um, but what, where this came from was... Uh, very sadly, about six months ago, um, Stefan's son, Oliver Wiesenbach, um, was very sadly died on the first day of the holiday. He was found at the bottom of a swimming pool uh, in the morning. He'd been for a late swim, hadn't been drinking. Um, he just, um, his heart just stopped. I had this sudden death syndrome. He was only 25 and he was the most remarkable young man and uh, an English teacher. Uh, he was a qualified snowboarding instructor and, uh, and also a diving instructor. And what Sammy did is he, he wrote a, a little book of wisdom, which he didn't show to his parents. He did it on a, on a, on a social media type of site. And he called himself Sam Leeper when his real name is Oliver Felix Biesenbach. And um, it's the most wonderful little book. And I think you can probably obtain one of those books by going to the Magic Future Foundation. But even, you know, to share and, um, and keep him alive, his legacy alive. Um, what um, the children of um, Stefan came up with, the idea was to uh, build a school in his memory. Stefan, being the individual he is, said, well, you know, for our son, one school's not enough. We need to build 100 schools and do it in a year. And uh, yesterday was about six months since um, Oliver died, and they've already funded 25 schools, uh, each school costing £30,000. They're now on the 26th school, and uh, those schools are going to be built in Oliver's name. So I think, you know, in life you can 
Stefan says you can spend life in the valleys where most people live, but um, you you know the you can also get up onto the mountaintops and do some significant things. Um, another organization I was with today is Alex's Wish. Um, Emma Hallam's been on the show. Um, Emma's son, Alex, has uh, Duchenne. Um, he's um, will likely die by about the time he's about 25 years of old. old. And one in three and a half thousand boys have this debilitating illness. And they just, um, just uh, raised a million pounds at Christmas um, for Duchenne and amazing research that is, uh, that is going on. And today I've just been at an event with almost 200 people there, which um, has, has resulted from people collectively, organizations getting together now around this, um, this um, particular uh, situation. So you can go to alexiswish.co.uk and find out a little bit more about that. But I just think these are examples where you're driven by a purpose, something that's really compelling, like 100 schools in a, a year, and people get behind purposes and do remarkable things. And I think reversing climate change and sustainability is something we can all have part of our purpose. Today, we've seen wildfires, floods, receding glaciers, there's diminishing wildlife and forests, there's plastics in oceans, widespread pollution. The human impact uh, is damaging our planet. Yet most of us are stuck in a confusing pattern of accelerating consumption and advice. But what role can we all play in reversing climate change and helping this um, planet to become more sustainable? Or is there any point? Is the light really out at the end of the tunnel? Has it been switched off? And I know myself this can be um, a, you know, a battle. I, I reflect on the topic daily, even in my own house, as I'm irritated by my kids leaving lights and appliances on. Uh, and also the amount of household food waste we, we produce. And um, I'm considering things like, should we have an electric vehicle? So I'm joined today by Elizabeth Vinberg hearn She's the CEO of Catapult Partners. It's an, she's an award-winning author, leadership and sustainability expert. And also Stephen Morris, who's a brand strategy consultant. Um, he's um, organization now Matter Consulting. He's also an amazing artist author and love of the outdoors, whose thriving consultancy works with organizations across the US. Uh, Elizabeth's um, from uh, from Sweden and is based in the UK, and Stephen's uh, normally in San Diego, but he's in Mexico today. So um, a great, um, some, you know, great people to have on the show, and I'm delighted to have them. And a big welcome to Elizabeth and to Stephen. Thank you. Well, thank, you. thank you, Chris. Thrilled to be here as always. Yeah, it's always always great to have you both on, and uh, we always have a, a fabulous conversation. And I know this is a, a subject that's really close to your heart, so I'm excited about this today. And it's so 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 important. Now, talking to several of my good friends about climate change, I, I just sense there's a really increasing level of worry about this. And you know, we've got also got coronavirus as well right now, which is um, something that. You know, many of us have not known anything like this in, in our lifetimes. And I think um, there's, it's almost, you know, verging on depression. I hear in, um, in Hong Kong, a lot of people there are now feeling very depressed with the situation. And of course, we've seen these wildfires in Australia. We've had loads of floods in the UK here. I've even been digging a trench out in the field behind me to stop the back of my house getting flooded. And, uh, and therefore, you know, wonder, you know, how are you feeling about it, um, Steve? Yeah, Chris, I mean, th this particular topic is such a, a poignant and timely issue, and it's um, unignorable at this point. Uh, it's frankly all around us. 
Uh, we see it nearly in every part of the world right now. And, um, you know, I, I, as you noted, I live in Southern California, San Diego area, and the house that we own uh, is on a canyon called Lopez Canyon. And, you know, as the winter, um, like it has been this year, has not been particularly wet. And so all already the news uh, cycles and, and even uh, outside of the news cycles were beginning to be worried about wildfires and things like that as the summer rolls in and into the fall later this year. And it's something that's constantly on our mind. And, um, you know, as you know, uh, we've talked at great length about it. Uh, I spend a lot of time outdoors. I'm a huge lover of nature, backpacking, hiking, surfing, trail running, uh, things of that nature. And, um, you know, I think we as humans are, we have to remember that we're inextricably connected to the natural world around us. And the urgency is certainly heightened in this particular time of crisis, which I believe it is, to step up and do not just the little things, but as big a things as we possibly can uh, to take care of the planet around us. And part of that might just start with education. So I do a lot of reading about what's actually going on with the environment, uh, looking at the science and things of that nature. And there's tons of books out there. The Omnivore's Dilemma, for instance, was a particular book that I think is really potent that talks about the food cycles and how, how we um, consume certain diets and certain foods and even the evolution of the human species and what we're supposed to be eating. Yeah, you just remind me of another Another Nelson Mandela quote, um, education is the most powerful weapon by which you can change the world. So all that reading that you're doing, Steve. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we, we learn through reading, don't we, and listening to things like this. And it sparks thoughts and ideas, and you know, we all have uh, a responsibility here. We don't, can't just leave it to the politicians, because I'm not sure they're going to fix it. No. Elizabeth. Uh, yeah, well, I agree. I agree with the, everything that Stephen was saying, and I think to some degree it makes me sad, but it also makes me, you know, it, it really fires me up as well from a point of view that I just want to do more, and I think we all need to do, do more, and it's going too slow. It feels like we've talked about this for such a long time, and yes, we've made a lot of progress. I think we have made a lot of progress, but it's just not enough. So there is, I, I feel impatient. I wouldn't say I've, I feel depressed about it. If anything, it, it, it does spur me on. I just want to do more. And do you think, you know, I, I agree with you, and, you know, we've, I'm sure we've all, all, all of us here have been you know, talking with, spoken with clients about sustainability and climate change. And, and actually there was a point where, you know, people needed um, lots of convincing, particularly organizations, to do something about this. But then we've had, you know, these climate change demonstrators, people like Greta Thunberg, who you know, have exposed the damage done by the behavior of older generations, you know, businesses and governments. And it therefore feels like we're moving into a, a, a really different phase, you know, linked to also having evidence around us as well uh, that we can all, all see and many of us are being hit by. Um, do you think... You know, is, is activism a way to go or, or the, the, the better ways to do it? I, well, I, I have to say I'm, I'm extremely proud of Greta, I have to say as well, and not just because she's a fellow Swede, right? But I think it's wonderful that she's encouraged a whole generation to want to make a difference. And 
I know that she gets a lot of stick for not having all the solutions, but that's not really her role. I think she's doing what she can to raise awareness, to rally people into action and to influence decision makers. And I think that is a reminder that, you know what, we can all do more. And I think to some degree, um, we should be inspired by that. I don't think uh, that the likes of Greta and others, they're not there to to make people feel, gosh, I should have done more. It should just encourage us to want to do more. You know, I don't think the blame helps, if if that makes sense. I think it's a question of giving people hope around the message is one of the most important things that we can do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how about you, Steve? Chris, yeah, it's, I find Greta to be a, absolutely fascinating individual and um elizabeth to your point uh you know i don't think greta's role is to have the solution i think uh greta's role is to uh speak truth to power and i i do a lot of work around um archetypes uh union archetypes as they relate to brand and you know i find it fascinating that greta really is what what in the archetypical world we would call the innocent. And the driving impetus behind the innocent is to be pure in their thought and to be an idealist, uh, but also be so unassuming uh, and uh, you know have that ability where they're, they're non-threatening to people, but it encourage us to, to listen to the truth of what's being said. So if we think about you know our, uh, the innocent, uh, as archetypes over time, you know, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, Forrest Gump, Buddy the Elf, Oliver Twist, uh, even the books, The Giving Tree and the Lorax. Uh, these are all fit, fit within the archetype of the innocent and the fact that she has this ability to be so powerful, yet so young and innocent at the same time, it makes the facts that she's putting forward, even though they aren't solution-oriented necessarily, or some, although sometimes they are, unignorable. And I, she is absolutely the perfect right spokesperson for activism at this point, and I think she's done an incredible job. Absolutely. And it's such a short period of time, if you think about it. It's yes. only about 18 months since she started, sat on her own with a little sign outside the, the Swedish government, you know. 18 months, you know, it beggars belief, really. Yeah, she's, uh, you know, through, her, through actions, she's become so known, hasn't she, globally. I, I, I felt very frustrated, actually, that there were criticisms about not having the solutions. I think one of the, you know, what she's done is she's she's brought awareness to this subject and she's brought attention to it. But also there were some, you know, paradigm shifts that people needed to make. And I think one of them right at the beginning that was very important was listen to the scientists because actually we were being we were being run by politicians, weren't we? And people wanting yeah. to gain political gain, you know, country gain, growth. We were being led by that kind of uh, capitalistic and political agenda. And uh, she said, actually, we need to be listening to the people who really know. And I thought yeah. that was a really important message. Yeah, here in the U.S., you know, is in the 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 person that currently occupies the White House has completely turned their attention away from any facts or any truth or any science. And the fact that she was criticized by this particular administration, uh, I found it utterly ridiculous because she's taught like the way that she speaks about it is 
is to the points being made here is just listen to the scientists. And the science is overwhelming. Uh, you don't have to look very far to understand actually what's happening to the planet. And um, I find it uh, quite frustrating that the current administration here in the U.S. Uh, has turned a, a, a blind eye essentially to the facts and the truth of and the reality that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. But I will say that it is not the the voice of the nation, so to speak. Um, and I assume that this is true over in Europe as well that uh, people know what's actually going on. And, and we see people like Greta stepping up and other people like them, like I know my kids who are uh, in their early 20s, they're utterly frustrated. And, you know, we just had a primary here in California. I know the direction that their votes were casts. Uh, and they were all about, you know, the, the politicians who they feel are going to protect the planet. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, again, I mean, we're, we're with that, we're, it's habitual behavior in politics often to discredit opponents and, um, you know, and you know, hit them by suggesting in various ways they're not credible. And there's a, ta- a habitual tactic which uh, completely misses the, po- the important point, doesn't it? It sure does, yeah. Well, we're going to go to commercial break now. Um, we, and after the break, I think we'll move into really talking about you know, our personal impact. What are the things that we can be doing as individuals and then collectively to influencing collectively to really make a contribution to this? Because we can't, as we say, we can't rely on politicians to do this. Um, we've, we've all got to take some responsibility and ownership rather than pointing the finger now to, to get ourselves out of this situation that we're in right now uh, into a, a much more sustainable future. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential chris cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the achiever program one-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and with Elizabeth Binberg Hurd and Stephen Morris, and we're talking about reversing climate change. Before I do that, I want to say um, a thank you to a show sponsor who this really helps in terms of uh, keeping this show going uh, and uh, progressing forward. But also, I only have people on who've got great products and uh, ones that I'm uh, happy to endorse. And uh, FreshBooks, because um, you, you may remember, I don't if you've set up your own business, that it was no sm- small feat doing it. And it probably took you 
you know, lots of late nights and early mornings and the occasional all-nighter, which uh, Elizabeth and Steve and myself know all about. Um, but bottom line, you've probably been insanely busy ever since because the, the busyness never really stops. So if you want to make things a little bit easier, I mean, our friends at FreshBooks, they have a solution. Uh, FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners. And it's simple, it's intuitive, keeps you way more organized than that dusty shoebox full of old uh, crumpled up receipts. They create and send professional looking invoices and the system in 30 seconds. And then you can get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. Um, file expenses quicker, keep them perfectly organized for tax time. Uh, Flexbooks also grows alongside your business. So you've always got the tools you need when you need them um, without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. So 24 million people use FreshBooks. You can try it for free for 30 days. No catch. They won't even take your credit card. So go to freshbooks.com elevation and enter the Business Elevation Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started. So back to the reversing climate change. So I'd like to have a chat now about what individually we think we can do in terms of uh, impacting our own personal impact. So uh, any thoughts on that, Elizabeth? Oh, there's a lot to do, right? I uh, so Personally, I think... I'm lucky enough to to live somewhere where I can use buses and trains. I sort of, I've almost forgotten how to drive a car. So I think that's one of the things I'm probably contributing the most with at the moment. I also find that I walk as much as I can more and more and more. Uh, And of course, I do a lot of the recycle, I reuse, uh, I do what I can to reduce energy. And, And the thing I keep thinking, though, is that it's not quite enough, right? I'm, I keep thinking I must be able to do more and I'm finding more and more it's probably more in influencing on a larger scale that is a, a, a greater opportunity for me maybe to, to do something personally. Yeah. How about you, Steve? Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, you know, we uh, living here in Southern California, you know, solar is a big thing. We installed solar in the house a couple of years ago, we drive hybrids at the house uh, for the most part. And, uh, you know, there's no getting around um, because the lack of really good public transportation in Southern California uh, driving from time to time. But I work out of the house now. So my carbon footprint as it relates to driving has been significantly uh, minimized. Um, and I do some other weird things. You know, it's interesting because we talked earlier on about how daunting it is. Um, but there's a lot of little things that we can keep doing. And, you know, when I start to do one, you know, putting solar on the house or something like that, I then turn to the next question, which is what else can I do? So a couple of years ago, I started beekeeping. And while it's not necessarily uh, directly fitting within this environmental sustainability, part of the reason that I got into beekeeping was because of big farms, the industrial farms that are actually killing bee population, honeybee populations, uh, they are important pollinators for making sure uh, plant growth and sustainability is continued in terms of, uh, you know, diversity of plants. And so I keep a, a few hives of bees out in the uh, out in the canyon and tend to them every year. And um, uh, I, I find them to be fascinating creatures, and uh, they are, are the great teachers as well. Okay. well excellent. Uh, for myself, I, I tend to use the train whenever I can rather than drive, and I exercise from home wherever I can. So I'm not driving to a gym or something. I'm running or cycling from 
from the house and we really kind of focus in on things like food waste because I realized I was just composting so much uh, sort of vegetable and fruit uh, kind of matter and things so we're you know more focused on that wearing jumpers in the house rather than having the heating on all day you maybe heating a room with a, a heater rather than having the, the heater on in the whole house looking at things like light bulbs not sending so many many Christmas cards I've not mm-hmm. not consumed as much wood in the log burners because I I used to think they were good but actually they turned out not to be so good and I'm also looking at sort of carbon offsetting if I have to fly and um also, a little bit like you, looking at cars and thinking, well, actually, when's the time to buy an all-electric all car? Um, so just a few things where we're kind of looking at as, as myself, and but also trying to educate the family too, to, to kind of inspire them to do things in a slightly different way. Um, the challenge, of course, though, is, 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 is um, it, it's okay sometimes thinking about these things, but it's also actually doing them, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. How do you, so how do you, can, can I go back to, sorry, you, you were just talking about what, you know, the family and kids. It's really interesting. So both of my young men are in college right now. And, and um, uh, last year for a class assignment, it actually it was an English class. My younger son had to read Michael Pollan's The Omnivore's Dilemma. And he came out of reading that book. And, and this is a kid who, as a child, um, wouldn't like touch a vegetable and uh he came out of reading that particular book and switched as much as possible to a plant-based diet and part of the reason he did that was because he now understands the impact that uh, meat consumption has on our environment which is significant and as a result uh you know most of it although my wife was mostly vegetarian to begin with uh, I have also switched to primarily a plant-based diet. And one of the big things that actually convinced me was this uh, documentary called Game Changers, yeah. uh, which you can find on Netflix, which really talks about not just the the physical benefits uh, this, uh, and even the psychological benefits of a plant-based diet, but also the environmental benefits of a plant-based diet. I think it's really interesting what you're saying as well, Stephen. I, I was sitting here smiling to myself because I had some similarities to what went on here. Because I'm thinking the, the the younger generation leads the way again, right? Like Greta, yeah. like the others. So my 17-year-old sons uh, went vegetarian three years ago. So they were 14 at the time. Mm-hmm. And we have very much, I've never been a big fan of meat anyway, but both my husband and I have eating less and less meat uh, as a result of them going vegetarian. But they had very much looked at the whole, the effect on the planet, but also, of course, the the handling of animals. There was a, a, a big bugbear for them. And I think it's great. There's a passion there. There's a passion there about wanting to do the right thing and, and wanting to to do a great imprint on, on, on the planet. And, and I also think it's, Somehow it's a shared responsibility. We, we have one planet. We share it. We somehow have to be very generous towards each other and say, what kind of decisions can I make, not just for myself, but actually for other people so that the planet can work for everyone? I think it's, inter- it's a really interesting point. I, I, for me, that's been a big thing since Christmas. I've eaten, I've eaten lamb once and chicken once since Christmas. The rest has been, been plant-based. And I've got no intention to, and, and some fish, but I've got no intention to necessarily call myself a vegetarian. It's just that I'm uh, significantly moving towards that, that plant-based. And like you, Steve, it was game changers that kind of got through to me around that. My wife's always been 
being vegetarian. Um, but I think that's also starting to impact the kids. So maybe, you know, some of their choices. So maybe actually the young people are leading the way, but but it doesn't mean as uh, as, an, as an older middle-aged person that we can all also start to <laughs> have an influence. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We can be inspired by them, though. I think, but I think that's always been younger generations have that passion often, whatever the subject is, to a degree that, you know, I think if you look back at history, it's always been that way. I think one of the hard things right now is... I think what's what's happening with this subject, we're all focusing in on it and we're seeing all of the Achilles heels and the fact that things are much more systemic. They can be a bit more complex than we thought. So you know, we were chatting in the in before we started this interview about, you know, the mounds of recycled clothing that we think over here were being kind by um, by donating our clothes clothing but that clothing is often ended ending up in landfill in in foreign countries and causing them problems because we're, we're sending some of our junk over there as well and and also today it's being announced about you know all of the the, the technology that we use how much that, that is consuming an enormous amount of uh, of uh, fossil fuel um through the the electrics and the cables that uh, go under our oceans and uh, across our country to ensure all our tech works so it it's it is a much more systemic problem, isn't there? And we're we're suddenly becoming aware that actually maybe one thing we might do might not necessarily might have a knock-on effect. Any thoughts on that, Steve? Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I know a wide variety of people, and and this might be you know I'm quite conscious that I live in Southern California and that Southern California or even really California in general is in a bit of a bubble. Uh, it is not. Uh, a, a perfect reflection of the reality of the rest of the world. But part of the beauty is that California being so progressive in so many different ways, and part of it exists around clean tech and green tech. And so there's tons of startup companies, not just in San Diego, but throughout California, who are thinking very differently about uh, not just their footprint, but also coming up with technology solutions that minimize the impact on the planet, but also mac- maximize the uh, our ability to to utilize technology in beneficial ways. And uh, while I don't have a, an official source or or resource of those things, you know, for instance, one of the clients that I work with is the Port of San Diego, and just in the past few years, they have developed uh, an entire division within the organization. Uh, that is an environmental division. And uh, Port of San Diego, for those who might not know, is uh, are essentially stewards of 55 miles of waterfront in the San Diego area, mostly in bayfronts. And they now have this huge sustainability and environmental issue uh, initiatives that have to do with minimizing carbon imprint, even including at the San Diego airport, where I know there's massive amount of work that's being done around um, minimizing carbon footprint. And, uh, and that includes not just how the commercial side of the business is run through the airlines and pollution and things of that nature, but also how the, um, the consumer side is run, uh, having millions of people every year come through that particular airport, uh, though it's not as big as Heathrow. Um, they do a lot of work around, you know, minimizing uh, how much waste is is produced, uh, or really even consumed by the consumers coming in and out of the airport. I think what's very interesting about this, Steve, is is that there is this is obviously is such a 
an important subject that it is also uh, developing um, you know businesses are developing and startups are developing along this kind of line and big organizations are starting as you say like uh, the port of san diego to have environmental divisions should we be elizabeth should should people be avoiding uh, companies who are heavily polluting and focusing their career aspirations around working for organizations that have a, a positive impact on the environment? I think it's certainly it's certainly the trend, and I think more and more people are drawn to organizations that are purpose-led in some way, uh, organizations that want to make a difference. These kind of things matter to people in the kind of choices they make. So definitely. I think it's, it's also complex, though, because I think there are a lot of industries that are obviously not the most environmentally friendly, uh, but are working really hard at turning that around as well. So I think there's a lot of room for... The kind of innovation and people coming together with ideas to make that happen, because really it's a bigger it's a bigger picture. Because I think when you talk about sustainability, it's bigger than just talking about the climate, because it's driven by uh, what people's lives are like. How can you actually create a a um, an Earth a, a planet where? people have an opportunity to live good lives because that will also help reduce the impact on, on climate. So, so it comes down actually to also to mindset then. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and culture, because you're right, yes. there, are, there are industries that are absolutely essential that might just be, you know, have an infrastructure which isn't you know, as green as it, um, uh, as environmental as it should be right now, but actually there's opportunities within those industries, providing the mindset is there absolutely. to to change yeah and i think uh, there's a lot of that going on for sure that that is certainly the direction that i think you any organization that isn't thinking like that will fall behind very very quickly yeah Yeah. i would add a third thing to that and that is relationship so the the way the manner in which we relate to the people around us uh, is typically done so through the alignment of a value system. So when we think about, um, Lisbeth, what you noted as purpose-driven brands, uh, there's a lot of data now. And some of this will go into the book that I'm currently working on uh, called The Beautiful Business, which is really about how belief-driven brands can really create a deeper sense of belonging and connection to the people that they're attracting. And that goes with the employees and their customers. And so you think about an organization like Patagonia, and Patagonia has been incredibly um, thoughtful, creative, and outspoken even in terms of how they run their company, not just from a sustainability standpoint, but also from a protection of natural resources. They'll, yeah. they'll go up against the government, for instance, the U.S. government, when uh, a national monument or a national park is threatened, and they'll use their financial and otherwise resources, even grass grassroots resources, to push against some of those issues that are out there. Plus, they get they spend a lot of extra money on uh, sourcing sustainable products and sustainable materials to make those products. And so Yvonne Chouinard's book, Let My People Go Surfing, talks very broadly and widely about not just the relationship that that Patagonia has with its employees and how they have a lot of versatility and give them a lot of flexibility for them to show up and do their best, 
but also their mindset, the company's mindset at Patagonia about their relationship to the natural world around us. Mm. It's such a, and I'm so glad you mentioned that. It's one of my favorite books, uh, People Go Surfing, because I think Patagonia is such a great example of the complexity of how everything hangs together. And I think because the subtitle of the book is, uh, you know, the confessions of a reluctant businessman or something like that. This whole idea that he didn't really want to to be in business and make money. That wasn't the thing. He wanted to create something that wasn't there in the climbing equipment. But in reality, he came to the realization that in order to do good, you also need to have a business that makes money that can create jobs. So the, it's the it's the complex connections between the relationship of people and the planet and indeed the business of making money that, that sustain one another. And I think it's such a good example of it, Patagonia itself. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, sort of like a great, great resource. And I think this is, uh, we're about to go to commercial break again, but I, I think this is you know, important to, to be sharing lots of examples like this today because we can kind of lose hope with the way hope with the me where the media is you know we're seeing you know rainforests being knocked down in in the amazon and we're we're seeing you know d- destruction on different parts of the planet from you know mining and etc and um, but there are good stories and maybe we need to you know, focus on our, our attention on you know seeking out these stories and learning from them as inspiration to to help us in our you know, personal way of being and also um, with our business ventures um, because there is also, there is a lot of good going on today, but we can never get complacent with this, can we? No. No, absolutely not. No. I mean, we're, we're at a time of urgency right now. And I think the part of the beauty is that in times of urgency, it's when human beings come together, pull together and align in doing what needs to be done. Yeah. So collaboration. Yeah, collaboration. I'm thinking thinking about you know Dunkirk, and uh, you know the story where we had you know, several hundred thousand troops. In fact, uh, the, almost the entire British army stranded on a a beach, a military on a beach in the Second World War, being encircled by the Germans, and um, you know it looked like we were going to lose the war because um, most of those troops were going to die, and there didn't seem to be a this didn't seem to be a solution, but then I think it was Churchill that came up with the idea of maybe sending out some um, small boats and suddenly lots of British people who had small boats went out and because they were small, they couldn't be um, bombed uh, by by the Germans and you know, an incredible proportion of those people survived and it seemed impossible, but a solution when there was time pressure was found. So let's hope we can we can find lots and lots of solutions moving forward. So we're going to come back after the break and we'll think a bit more about what, what you can maybe do in your local community. And we'll talk a bit more about uh, about business and uh, sustainability after the break. So do join us again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching 
facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Elizabeth Vinberg hearn and also Stephen Morris, and we're talking about, about our role in reversing climate change and living more sustainably. And I think this is obviously such a, such an important, important subject. And I'm interested to explore um, what we can maybe do just uh, initially as individuals, make it in our local communities. I was very, very inspired by um, a, a short video, and I'm sorry if I've forgotten the name of the town. It was in Scandinavia, I think in Sweden, which is about the most greenest town it was described, this is the most greenest town in the world, and how these people had collectively, school children, teachers, parents, had come together to um, become much more sustainable as a, as a town. Uh, and that was inspiring, and I, and I just wonder, is there a role for us to start to, to connect with all those souls, maybe in our local towns and villages and cities who are also thinking about this individually and start to work on these problems collectively? Mm. Definitely, I think yeah. there's lots of opportunity for that. And I, and I, when I, as I've been reflecting on that, I realised I'm not doing that enough, and I really want to do that because I think there's a lot to be done, associations to be joined, actually creating local think tanks. How do you get people together and really start to solve the the local challenges together? And I think it's a lot of the thinking behind Michael Porter's idea around shared value. How you have people start to collaborate in a way they've never done before, maybe not even thought about. And he obviously talks about it, uh, so Michael Porter at Harvard Business School, he talks about it from a sort of how does local governments uh, collaborate with the uh, companies and with uh, the, the grassroots people living there. And it's, it's all possible. You just need to get it started if it's not already there. But you have to collaborate around these questions without a doubt. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and you know, the, the partially because of the work that I do, Chris and Elizabeth is uh, working with businesses on uh, the brand culture and business strategy of their organizations. And I think it's you know it's interesting because part of me wants to be relatively uh, directive about encouraging them to think in a particular way, but it, you you really do have to get them to lead themselves there. And I, I find that the process of answering questions or asking questions to have them answer them rather than giving them directives yeah. uh, can be quite potent. And, you know, so I have a series of questions that I'll, um, you know, deploy during, uh, you know, leadership offsites or even when I'm working on strategic plans with organizations. And, you know, and they, those questions might range from, what role does sustainability play in your company's overall uh, strategic plan or business strategy? Uh, or what resources, natural or otherwise, does your company rely on to do its work? 
and what are we doing to protect and sustain these natural resources? Uh, things of that nature where they then begin to ask themselves the question, just like Elizabeth, you said here, like the fact that we ask ourselves the question, which is typically a what stated question, W-H-A-T instead of a why, like what could I be doing more of? What else could I be doing? Uh, or how potentially can I help those around me? Mm. I, I think this is a, a sort of really, really important point Actually, is I mean, organisations. It's it's. I'm involved with, as I mentioned, charities, and I'm sure you are as well. Um, but also taking on some um, responsibility to support uh, initiatives which, uh, you know, which build build sustainability in your local area. Uh, could be could be a very helpful helpful addition to your you know CSR activity couldn't it and it's such as it's something about people's brain power there are so many amazing people out there and people are unless you get people together and bring all those amazing brains together you might miss out on some of the opportunities for innovative solutions Mm-hmm. So I think to be able to facilitate people coming together and, and sharing those ideas they might have, you know how creativity often works as a sort of you spark an idea that sparks another idea that sparks another idea. I mean, I could almost see the, the, the world lighting up from that. Yeah, yes. Yeah, imagine that you can see all this creativity being created uh, across the world. So cool. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I just had a message from Steve where it's a, a chainsaw suddenly started up outside of his uh, place in where he's staying in Mexico at the moment, which is very <laughs> loud. So he's just muted for a minute. So it might be you and I talking until I okay. get a little message from from uh, from Steve. But what I, I also I think, you know, I take from that, too, is and, and Steve is brilliant at this, is the importance of not just telling it's not about telling people it's about. Uh-huh. Yeah, we yeah, to to get their ideas. It's, it is about asking beautiful questions, Absolutely. which uh, which those examples there. You know, what role does sustainability play in in uh, your strategic plan? And um, and you know, what are you uh, what are you doing? What resources are you utilizing in your work? And what are you doing to um, kind of protect them um, that natural environment and uh, mitigate minimize those resources? Are very important. Mm types of questions aren't they which which then start to enable people to contribute yeah it should be okay now the chainsaw stopped (laughs) (laughs) i found the timing very interesting uh yeah uh yeah and and interestingly enough the man who was uh running the chainsaw essentially climbed a a giant palm, palm tree that is literally right outside my uh my window here and uh, he only ran the chainsaw as long as he needed to, and now he just stopped. So kudos to him for that. <laughs> Very good. Uh, on another you know, point, we, we've, we, we, if we come together in communities, there's an opportunity, isn't there, to sort of to challenge things like you know, local planning 
initiatives. I've got a big issue locally where there's a, a depot with lots of lots of trucks, and they want to double the size of that. I mean, a lovely country area with little country lanes, and of course the you know the local people are coming together like never before. And we've we've had something this week. You know, there's uh, plans for a third runway at Heathrow, which has a, a huge en- environmental impact and impact on people's homes and and uh, you know noise pollution and those sorts of things. And and a legal challenge has been just been thrown in about you know has have all, all of the climate commitments been been considered and it's uh, it it's it suddenly puts this in a this issue which seemed to have been put to bed into a, a decision been made into a real tailspin so should we be um you know coming together to to, to challenge as well where we see uh, things that are you know going to go ahead politically and 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 a company perspective that aren't in the interests of uh, the environment yeah, it's a really interesting point. You know, I think the, the the fusion between or the relationship between policy and people uh, really come into play here where, you know, we see here in California, there's a lot of environmental activities and environmental activism. And there has been some very small, but yet loud and outspoken groups who have pushed uh, large organizations and institutions, uh, governmental or corporate institutions, uh, to do, to step up to much more responsibility when it comes to the environment. And I've seen uh, even, you know, buildings in San Diego that um, you were trying to be, be passed by certain legislative um, and, you know, uh, real estate type of people uh, where small environmental lobbyists or small environmental organizations stepped in and kind of forced them to be much more thoughtful and sustainable. And actually it has changed a lot of policy here in, in Southern California and really throughout California. So it's when people speak up and step up like Greta has done and, and sometimes even do the things where we take to the streets, uh, we become unignorable at that point. Those people who bond together, who, who band together, and challenge uh, really big authority, and sometimes even in old laws that are no longer relevant, uh, it is those people that actually can bond together to, that can make significant change. And also, I think the you know the world is increasingly transparent so i think a lot of organizations are seen in a way they were never seen before so people on the outside will know much more about what's going on inside it's through social media it's media overall and that's a good thing because that also means that there has to be a transparency from organizations point of view about what do we stand for what are we actually doing here and and i think more and more there's a need to bring people together with in organizations as well so that organizations can get beyond doing the obvious things from a sustainability point of view and actually engage employees in it as well imagine bringing all of that brain power together and saying you know what as an organization what else can we do because there are so many people individually in an organization that don't necessarily play a role in a sustainable business not a direct role it's so important Uh, I, i do my work lots of work around engagement and building more engaging work workplaces 
And uh, you know what I find with this this whole area of engagement is you know okay you can you can say at a top level oh we're going to you know engage our people and, and engagement is important to our business. However, engagement really comes alive when you you set up engagement groups and things like that in the in the company and and people come together and start owning it and looking at what initiatives can we could we develop and it grows from within then. And I think it's the same with sustainability. It doesn't shouldn't just be held at a board level, should it? It can be. Yeah. Uh, it's know, all it, that wonderful brain power and heart yeah. power that an organization has through their people. Yeah, and that, that will also challenge them to step up as well. Definitely. Yeah, and the only way a belief-driven brand actually works is for that organization and the people within to understand what their beliefs are, to come together and articulate them, and then ultimately to express them to the outside world. And when we talked earlier about how people connect and belong to one another and create these relationships, you know, it's it's certainly possible for people to join a brand and to join a brand because of those belief systems that exist. And then that becomes exponential. So when people join brands like Patagonia, for instance, uh, you know, the saying goes, we vote with our wallets as much as we do at the, at the ballot box. When we support those organizations who are actually aligned with our beliefs and doing good for the world, as we define it, and in, in this particular conversation, as it's partially defined through sustainability or environmental issues, the more we heighten the power of those particular organizations because of our our vote in their direction and our support for them. So again, bringing up Patagonia, and there's lots of other companies who are like this, uh, although probably not enough, that really are very clear about being outspoken in terms of their beliefs and their people then within the organizations align with those things and the actions that follow. Okay, so we're nearly at the end of the interview now. And so we're going to have to uh, stop in a second. So I just wonder, you know, have you got a, a sort of short final message that you'd like to leave us with, Elizabeth? Well, I'm going to mention Greta Thunberg again, but like she says, no one's too small to make a difference, right? Um, so let's do it. I think it's up to all of us to choose to make a difference. Everything we'll do will make a difference. We have to look at it that way. Brilliant. And how about you, Steve? Yes, my friend David White would say, start close in. And by that, it's taking personal responsibility for the things that we can control and putting them into action. So asking ourselves the questions of what can we do to make the change that we want to see in the world. And sometimes that starts like what we've talked about with education, educating ourselves on what the actual science is saying, reading books like let my people go surfing or the omnivores dilemma or watching uh, the change, uh, the game changers movie, things like that, that we can arm ourselves with deeper information and put it into action into the things that we can control. Fantastic. Elizabeth and Steve, I absolutely love this conversation. I think it's been, um, been brilliant and just so, so helpful. And I would just say to people who are listening to this, you know, I'd love to hear comments and feedback. I'm always grateful. Feel You can email me personally at chris at chriscooper.co.uk or, or put something on, um, on social media. But if you've gained something from this, you know, one thing you can do is with education is the most powerful weapon by which you can change the world. And if you've gained something from this interview uh, today, some thoughts, then please, please share it with others. This isn't about any kind of uh, commercial gain for us. We just care about this subject and we want people to 
to uh, go out there and uh, and be the change that they want to be in the world. And we need to come together like we've never come together before. If you want to find out more about our guest, Elizabeth Vinburn Hearn, you can go to www.catapultpartners, that's with a K, dot com, and also uh, Matterco dot co that's matter www.matterco.co and of course uh, a little bit more on me on um, www.chriscooper.co.uk um, but once again um, I hope you've gained from this show and, and enjoyed it on next week's show uh, we have John Kramer John's a friend of mine he's uh, one of the most incredible improvisation experts uh, on, on the planet I went to an event once where people were getting up at like 6am in the morning they can only book to be on his uh, his workshop uh, in the first thing in the morning and, and they Things opened at six and there was like a massive queue at six o'clock for people to get in the room. And we're going to talk about are you agile or fragile? You know, when stress throws you um, curveballs, uh, how do you kind of deal with that? And how do you prepare yourself for the unexpected and uh, those kinds of things? So we'll do that um, next week. But on, as a meantime, thank you to Elizabeth Hearn, also to Stephen Morris. And thank you all for listening. And, uh, and thank you all for those who will share this on and uh, continue this debate. Thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. 